0: All right. Um, once a month, we're gonna start having people share their testimony of salvation, how they came to know Jesus. And so, uh, first up, who's gonna break the ice for us is Greg Goldcap. Greg, come on up, sure.
1: <laughs> Y'all know you're clapping for Jesus right. and not for me. Um, yeah, so I have the honor of sharing. They said two to three minutes. That's messed up to tell a guy, hey, man, share your salvation story in two to three minutes. I would like like eight hours if I could get it. Um. But I'm, I'm looking at my wife. I take a really long time to tell stories, so I'm going to try to do this. I'm 31. My full name is Gregory. Timur, go Kelp. When I was 20, I didn't know the Lord, I didn't grow up in church. My dad is from Turkey, my mom didn't own a Bible. Um, Grew up my whole life being the bad kid, very rebellious. Um, As you get older, your rebellion impacts more and more people. So, got into drugs in high school, went to jail when I was 17, spent 11 days in Fulton County Jail. Um, got kicked out of my house, got expelled from school, um, was into pornography, sex before marriage, drugs, you name it. All, all, the only person I ever punched in the face was my own father. So, this is who I was. I could go on and on. I mean, and I'm not scared to because I've been covered. So, like, it's, I'm not, there's no shame. But, so I stand before sinners and uh, I'm guilty as charged. But I, I went to the army, still the same thing, got out of the army. And, you know, my whole life, like, I knew the difference between good and evil. I had this, the spirit of God was upon me to recognize his will in, in the flesh. And so I started, man, I was, I lived in a cabin all by myself in North Georgia and went to junior college for two years. And I was like, reading Walden Pond, I was reading the Dao De Jing, which is this Chinese Buddhist book, I'm very, I was like hungry, I was like, all right, I need to know what is truth, what is, and I'm reading all this stuff. I get invited to go to a Bible study at a, at a store in LAJ. This guy was, he had an outdoor, fitter, outdoor shop and a really solid dude. And I got invited. I actually got invited because I was trying to get with a girl, and she said, why don't you come to the Bible study? And I was like, sure. So, (laughs) which is really not funny. You guys shouldn't be laughing. But so, I went to this Bible study, and the first day I got there, I'm like, all right, I'm about to hear about Jesus. And so, there's like, this is in Elijah, so there's like five five 20-year-olds, and me, and I stopped everybody, and I said, before we continue, Travis was the name of the guy who led that, I said, you need to, an- you need to answer me a question. And so I, was, I said, all right, man, if God is so good, why did he create Lucifer knowing that Lucifer was gonna turn many people to the gates of hell? That goes beyond the question that maybe some of you lower thinking people, if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? You got to go further than that. That's a shallow question. So anyway, I asked him, I said, "Dude, before we continue, you got to answer me this question." He answered me one of the most well-read men I've ever met and knew the word very well, and he answered me and he described what took place in the throne room when God called Lucifer in. There's vague scriptures, but he gave me an answer that I could I could roll with. And essentially he said Lucifer and God had a conversation. And in the end, the Lord told Lucifer, go and do your thing. And in the end, we'll see who gets the glory. And that was enough for me. I was like, okay, I can, I, can, I can kind of grasp that. So for a while, I went to this Bible study. Anyway, long story short, I'm already making this long. I didn't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were about Jesus. I was given a Bible. I understood the Father... That created stuff, like, come on, man, that's simple. I even understood the Holy Spirit, like, yeah, something is causing my heart to beat. There is some sort of spiritual connection between the creator and life. Like, Holy Spirit. So I kind of Jesus, I didn't understand Jesus. Um, I wasn't hurt by the church, which is not really being you're hurt by people, not the church, but I so I didn't have this. I just simply didn't understand who Jesus was and how he fit in the picture. And so at one of those meetings, I said, I finally came to realize Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Luke, and John were about Jesus. I said, so y'all are mean to tell me that those four books are about Jesus. And they were all like, yeah. So I went home, and I told the Lord, I said, okay, God, I want to know who you are, and I want to know who this Jesus is. So I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John out of this very Bible that was given to me from front to end with no commentary, no YouTube, no pastor, no, no nothing, me in the word. And I, I want to specify, I want to emphasize that, me in the word. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. It's literally like this is, this is my husband. Like I cling to this. He is the word. This is, this is God. This is who he is. It's his word. And so I sat there, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, bookmark, the whole deal. There, there got to a point where I had read so much, reading the parables, Lazarus and the rich man, these th- I, was, I was like, man, this, I was reading the, par- the parables were rocking me. Everything that Jesus was doing, I was like, who is it? This man is much greater than Mahatma Gandhi, who I read about in fifth grade like he there is something more pleasing about him there is something about this man and so i got to the point where i had read so much my i literally the only way to explain it is my mind was transformed like i had a new mind there's no other and it's cool because you can't take that from me i was there and so I literally was, wait- I was like, man, I am seeing people differently. I'm not seeing people as devices for greed and pleasure anymore. I'm seeing people as, wow, they're being, everything was changing. And it got so bad to a point where I threw a huge kegger at my house, bonfire, lots of people, I had the lawn chair, fold-out lawn chair, sat in it, grabbed my first beer, cracked it open, took a sip, put it in the little cup holder, looked around in my backyard at everybody. Nobody was walking with me. Remember, I'm reading this by myself. I'm not surrounded by Christian people. And I'm looking at my backyard and I'm seeing everybody. And I'm, at this point, I know too much. At this point, it would be complete rebellion, which it already is. But it would be, it would be like medita- premeditated rebellion. And so I got up out of my chair with my beer went to my bedroom and put it next to my bed and picked up my Bible at probably nine o'clock on a Friday or Saturday, whatever day the party was, and opened it and just sat on my bed and started reading. Bedroom doors open. My buddy walks by and he was like, what are you doing, man? And I was like, I'm done living this way, man. I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something like that. And so for the next couple months, I read more and more and more and more, and I was done, I finished the Gospels. And I, and I just, October, the month of October 2011, it had all, let, this was about a year long, this going to Travis's store, still living in the world, still sinning, still not giving, not, not committing. But there got to a point in October, I was like, I had finished the Gospels, and I remember I got up on the living room floor, I got on my knees and said, all right, Lord, show me how to follow you, Jesus. Show me, because I do not want the world. I want you. If you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's what I tell people, like, just read the books, man. Just, if you would just humble yourself and read, you don't need an explanation. You don't need somebody to tell you anything. And so I read these four books, called out to the Lord. And the only way to explain it is the entire month of October, I remember feeling this weight above me. And the only thing that I can call it is it was spiritual warfare for my soul. And I remember there were times I'd be sitting in class and I would feel this weight. And I would. There were moments where I would look up to see what was happening above me, but there was nothing to see. And it really was the Lord. He took me back, and He used His strong hand. And I was deep with the devil. I was. And so, in October, I caught my buddy Zach, who became, who's a good friend of mine. I was like, dude, I'm ready to be baptized. The old I was. This was not cliche. Like, this was literally the language of my heart. I said, dude, the old Greg is dead. We got to put him down. I want you to baptize me. He, like, he, he'd he only been walking with the Lord a couple times. Like, he he wasn't this, like, man of faith. Or, like, he he wasn't this old man. He was a young guy my age. And I was like, dude, I want you to baptize me. And so, yeah, the And continuing to read the word, like there's stuff in the word that says, like Travis talked about forgiveness. When you have been forgiven that much, if you were to like be real and lay it all out there, man, it's so easy to forgive people. I got to the point where I read the scripture, how can I forgive you if you can't forgive others? Y'all know the one I'm talking about? And I was, this at the point, this was a couple months later after October. I lived in Athens now. This is probably January, February in Athens. I read that in my bedroom and I was like, I put my, I put the Bible down. I was like, Lord, show me who I need to forgive. And I just started going through the list of everybody I could think of in my head because the word had gripped my heart. It, I want to be forgiven. Yeah. Like, and also like, I want to be forgiven, but I've, I've also been forgiven. I can do this. And so there was one man who stuck out and it was my, was my stepdad, which he was really not my stepdad because my mom never married him, but they were engaged for seven years. This dude held a gun to his head in front of my mom, like serious stuff, like verbally abuse. I've seen him verbally abuse my mom. I was 22. Now, now it would be different if I saw that, but I was a young dude and didn't know how to respond, and I didn't know the Lord, but I just remember, I was like, I need to forgive Jeff, man. So I Somehow knew his number. It was the, like one of the only numbers I have memorized. Called him up. He answered. And I, was, I hadn't talked to him in about probably four years. And I said, Jeff, man, I just want to tell you I forgive you. Um, I've been forgiven. Jesus forgave me. And I read him the scripture. I said, he also says, if how can he forgive me if I can't forgive anybody? And, I, like, I haven't forgiven you. And so I forgive you, man. And he, like, he broke down on the phone and was like, man, you don't understand what this means. But anyway, so, yeah, my testimony, yeah, the Lord totally has saved me, but this is what I love. I'm not looking for just a Savior. I want a Lord. I want the Lord to Lord over me every day. I want to be Lorded by him, my thoughts, my decisions. Like, the Savior thing, yes, but I want a Lord, too. And so, like, Man, I just encourage you guys, like, yes, salvation is the greatest thing of all time, but, like, being, having a Lord is, like, that's where it continues. Like, the story doesn't just stop there. Um, so, there it is. It's going to continue. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. That's so good. I love that. Testimonies of how we came to know the Lord. You know, Benny Johnson, um, Bill Johnson's wife of Bethel Church. You know, you, you may have a testimony of salvation like Greg, and then you may have one like Benny Johnson where she said she can't remember... A day not knowing the Lord. She just grew up loving the Lord, and that's a that's a powerful testimony, as well. And Greg, I'll tell you, I'll tell you like Jessica tells me. So we say two to three minutes, so it keeps it under fifteen. <laughs> Jessica says, try to do a twenty-minute sermon, Travis. That way, it, we keep it to forty-five. Okay, sir. So. I'm just telling you, that's just the way it works, man. You know, we we know you're gonna overshoot it the same way I am. But nah, we we can roll with that all day. I want to talk a little bit about just lifting up our eyes to the Lord and specifically just as a church, and this is. Some of uh, the vision that God's been giving us as a church and where we're going, and, and uh, I call it lifting up your eyes because that's where our vision comes from. The Bible tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We only want to do what we see the Father doing here at, at The Awakening, and we have a role in the city as, as a church. You know, churches are, are like people. They have different roles in a city, and that's how we, we look at um, church in general, is we look at it from a kingdom perspective of, hey, we're not the only church in this city. We're not the only players in the game. We're not trying to save Athens by ourselves. But we've got, there's lots of people and there's lots of churches that God's going to have us partner with to bring in the harvest. And, you know, and Jesus told the, the disciples, they had been fishing all night they had not caught a thing and jesus said cast your, your nets on the other side of the boat and when they did everybody in the boat had to haul in the catch and it almost sank the boat because it was so so plentiful they all it was all hands on deck and that's that's how if we truly believe that god's going to save a city and he's going to 100% of Athens is going to be saved. Guess what? We can't fit 150,000 people in this room or any church. I mean, we're going to have not even Sanford Stadium. 100,000 people not going to fit. So we've got to have all we've got to have all the churches working together, all the pastors working together, and it's happening. God's doing that. There's a lot of great churches and pastors in the city that that want the same thing. They want to see God that Jesus get the inheritance that he paid for, that uh, his blood paid for. And so I want to talk a little bit just about vision for us, uh, specifically as a church, the awakening. So as a church family, how do we want to grow? And so we go back to the Bible for this. The Bible directs us to grow in certain areas of our life. Number one is worship and prayer, missions and evangelism discipleship, gifts of ministry, gifts of the spirit, personal maturity in the Lord, which is kind of encompassed in all these things, but growing in, in our maturity, being growing in our identity as sons and daughters of God. And so this is how we, this is where we get our vision from. So any, any part of our vision or where we want to go is so that glory can, that Jesus can receive all the glory that he can be lifted up high, and that he gets preeminence in all things. So Luke 10, 27 says, this is the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And the second one, like it, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what, you know, Greg was, in his testimony, what happens uh, when you have an honest heart and you allow the word, Jesus, now, this is written by the Holy Spirit. This is not letter, just letters on the page. This is living and active. Remember, you ever read the Bible and it jumps out at you? Because it's living and active. And And so when Jesus told the parable of the four different soils, you know, he said there's a... There's a heart, and he he likened the, the the four different soils, the four different heart conditions. And he said, "There's the heart that's wor- there's the heart that worries. There's the heart that the devil steals the seed. There's the the heart that, um, gets con- gets distracted, gets consumed by other things. And then it says that there's the honest, good heart, which represented the good soil. And as Greg was sharing his testimony, the thing that stood out about about me is Greg and and All of his sin, all of his mess, he came to God with an honest heart. He just said, I want to know who Jesus is. And when he opened up the word, bam, Jesus showed himself to him. God's not looking for us to get our act together. He's just looking for an honest heart, and then he can work with that. So when we come to him, like, God, I don't have it together. I'm, I am a slave to all this stuff. I can't get out of this on my own. Then He, we welcome him to come in and, and set us free. And so this first commandment is, you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And all the other commandments that God gives us, we can't we can't even fulfill them without doing this one first. This has to come first. The love of God in our life is the fuel. You've you got to know how much God lo- loves you before I can try to tell somebody else, hey, God loves you. We've got to know that for ourselves. And so like, one of the best ways to um, say you have a goal of, you're like, Lord, I want to I share the gospel more. I would tell you, is like, just start looking at how much God loves you in the Bible. Start looking at the scriptures, it says that, you know, you, Galatians 2.20, I love that one. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The, faith, the, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I love that one. He just, who loved me. <laughs> Jesus loves you. So our first commandment is to love God, and this is otherwise known as worship. So our lives are to be lives of worship. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That day, Greg got on his knees in the living room and said, Jesus, I need to know who you are. It was laying, he laid his life on the altar that day. And God, guess what? God, what does He answer sacrifice with? With fire. And so when you offer your life to God in that way, it's like, I'm done with the world. I am done. The fire of God's going to fall on you. And you're going to be filled with His presence, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But it takes a total surrender. You can't, the affections of your heart have to change. You can't have any other lovers. You can't have any old flames, whether it's people, drugs, sin, whatever whatever it is. So what does worship look like? These are just some of the ways. Number one is always giving thanks. In the Psalms, it says, we, we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. One of the commissions that God gave us is Isaiah, or the commission God's given us is Isaiah 62.10. And it says, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, build up a highway, build it up, remove the stones, and lift up a standard over the people. And so that first part, going through the gates, is simply, we're being, we've been called to be a worshiping people. That's all it means. We, what if, you know, what if we're known as, man, you, have you met people, somebody from the awakening? Man, they are a thankful people. It's just, it's just that simple that you can bring breakthrough by having a thankful heart. You can bring breakthrough by being a worshiper. And every—and when we come to gather together corporately, you bring your personal level of worship with you that adds to, to the corporate worship. So if we we're all just worshiping the Lord every day, it doesn't have to look the same. Me and my wife, nobody closer to me than her, we worship the Lord totally different. In my early years, I tried her to get her to worship like me. Y'all might have heard that story where you know we do quiet times together, and she's she's uh, balled up in a corner on the couch praying, and I'm am standing, throwing imaginary javelins and stuff at the devil, and um, and I'm looking at her, i like, why why is she th- sh- shooting imaginary weapons at the devil? You know, and uh, she's, she's doing it wrong. And I was, I was like, I remember I looked at her, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she she went, I'm praying. And I just was like, ugh. It, it, no, you're doing it wrong. But that was Travis's issue. All right? So this is, now, trust me, Jessica, she's got an amazing relationship with the Lord, but it looks different. I'm going to, every single one of us, it's gonna look a little different, but you're but you gotta be but you do have to, um, you need to worship the Lord if you want to grow in your relationship with Him. We're gonna get more into that. Exalting the Lord, declaring He's greater than you or your your current circumstances. That's another that's another way that Thanksgiving is great. You know, you say you you got. $100 in the bank and you got $800 rent coming up you're like lord i thank you that you provide for me according to your glorious riches i thank you that jesus paid it all you know you just start thanking him about what the truth is and you exalt the lord over your circumstances when you do that lord I, you say you never seen the right, I, david said he's never seen the righteous begging for bread so lord i thank you that you're my provider and you you start lifting up god over that $900 rent Singing, dancing, silence, kowtowing, kneeling. Y'all know what kowtowing is? Faceplant on the floor, all right? Kneeling, sitting, laying down, etc. cetera. These are all expressions of worship. The key is your heart has gotta be engaged. I've been in religious traditional worship services and I've been in religious charismatic worship services. <laughs> you start exalting the form of worship, and it doesn't matter. You exalt Jesus. One of the things I, I, I'm liking personally, and some of the more worship artists are doing new renditions of the hymns, and I'm loving it, man, because it's, it's so rich, and it's just it's fresh. It's not the hymns. It's not whatever. It's like what's God what's God doing? You know what I'm saying? And so, but we don't exalt any any form of worship above the other. But there may be times where God's telling you as a way of obedience. This is how, you know, God, sometimes he, is, he does give us tests because he wants us to give us more, and so he's got to trust us. And, you know, I had a buddy um, I used to paint houses with. You know, he said that the Lord would tell him to pull off on the side of the road and, like, worship him on the, like, Highway Luke 10 or something like that. And, he, and he'd, just, he'd just be like, you know, standing on the side of the road, Jesus, I love you. And it was just these tests. It was like, are, will you, are you listening to my voice? And there's times like that for you for the for a season when we were at Convergence Church in Fort Worth. The Lord said, every t- before you go into worship, I want you to see how worship is in heaven. And then I want you to do that. And so there was one time I saw uh, Jesus doing, it was like a Native American rain dance type thing. I mean, he, he was, he's was doing this. So I'm like, Oh Lord. All right. <laughs> so I get up there, start doing a rain dance and then it just breaks off. But what God's, why, why isn't Jesus telling me to do that? Cause he, he's wanting to break off the fear of man on my life. There was another time all the women were at a women's conference. It was just all these men, you know, and at church one Sunday, I normally never wore a white undershirt under my button-down, but for whatever reason, I did that Sunday. And I had, I had a shirt just like this, but a, there was a white undershirt underneath it. And so I'm getting in there, and the Lord says, take off your shirt and swing it around your head. And I'm like, Lord, no. I was like, Lord, this undershirt's got, like, deodorant stains underneath it. What for, you know, how many use Anyways, you get deodorant stains in there. Maybe it's just me, I don't know. Yeah, but, uh, so I got off, so this was the stage, I went off over there where the basketball goal is, and I'm just, I'm like half-heartedly swinging my shirt over my head, and then I just started, I was like, who cares, baby, who cares, woo! And I'm just doing, wow, we're going to worship. And then one of my buddies comes over to me. He's like, "Give me some of that!" And then I, he takes my shirt and he's doing this. <laughs> you know what? And so, but the key, and then, but the, what I started to do, and the Lord sat me down, literally sat me down, was because what happened was, is um, I kind of got a reputation for crazy worship guy. And then I took pride in being crazy worship God. And the Lord, I remember I came and went, I was like, Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you want to do today, baby? Because I'm crazy worship God. And the Lord's like, I want you to sit down. <laughs> so I sat down for like six Sundays in a row, didn't even do uh, And I was just. I was like, "But Lord, nobody's saying crazy worship, God." I helped Mark lead worship. Mark told me that. I hit Mark was the worship leader, and so you. My point is, worship comes from an honest heart. It comes from a humble heart, recognizing you have nothing apart from God. He's your everything. We're to be poor in spirit, and pride. God opposes the proud. That should be put the fear of God in you. I don't want God opposing me, but he gives grace to the humble. So obedience is another one. Then the secret place. And so I want to elaborate a little bit on the secret place. Psalm 27, verse 4 through 6 says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. So one thing... Now, this is King David who wrote this. Now, imagine David. Imagine, now, think, of, think about your life. Most of us would say we've got busy lives. But here's King David, all right? So even before he became king, he was on the run from Saul. He was <laughs> living in the woods, on the run. His guys would sometimes rebel against him because they're like, we've been in the woods 15 years you're, we're going nowhere with you, buddy. So his guys turned on him. Saul's trying to kill him. He's got a lot of distractions. And then think about when he became king. They're like, uh, King David, uh, East Jerusalem needs a gate. What do you want that to look You know, And he's, he's making decisions and all this kind of stuff. These guys want to go to war. He's, a, he's got lot, lots of distractions in front of him. But David said this. He says, one thing I seek and, that, and that's to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. He, his, David's one thing was to seek the Lord. His one thing, to, when he was slaying giants, was seeking the Lord. When he was killing the lion and the bear, was seeking the Lord. When he was dest- uh, defeating his enemies, was seeking the Lord. When he was committing murder, seeking the Lord. When he was in adultery, he sought the Lord. That was one th- That was why God called him a man after his own heart. It wasn't that David was perfect. It was because he sought the Lord. Psalm 51 is about David seeking the Lord after he murdered Bathsheba's husband and committed adultery with her. He sought the Lord. So what was this one thing? To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. This is before the temple had been built. So what is, what is David talking about? He's talking about God's presence. He's talking about abiding in God. He's like, God, I just want to be with you. I just want to be in your presence. David was addicted to the Lord's presence. To behold the beauty of the Lord, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, talks about what this does. It says, but we with all, with, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory justice from the Lord, the Spirit. So as we worship, this is why this is uh, why we worship, and one of the reasons why is because it transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. The Bible in many places says when you see Jesus, you will become like him. 1 John chapter 3, it says, we've been called, uh, the love of God's been poured out, and we have the The blessing of being called the children of God. And we know that when we see him, we will become just like him. So when you see Jesus, you become like him. And worship is the way we go about that. You do it with thanksgiving. You do it with praise. Whatever that looks like for you. Maybe some of you are soakers. Did anybody know what that means? You like to put on some peaceful music. And you just marinate in the presence of God. My wife's a soaker. I can't do that. I fall asleep. I call that sleeping. <laughs> and so when I get worship, so what helps me when that what actually lifts me up and I'm not distracted is when I'm 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 pacing in in my living room and I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm I'm that's how. That's how I soak. That's how the presence of God. I get, start getting filled with the Spirit that way. As I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, I've got to do something with my body. I've got to get some movement going. And it my body engages my spirit with the Lord. Because you know that you're not three separate beings. You know your body, soul, uh, your body, mind, and spirit, soul is part of your mind. And that's a Greek way of looking at things. Greeks divide things up. They They're... They're very systematic Hebrews which wrote the people uh, who wrote the psalms were Hebrew and they knew that if I can get my body to do something, my spirit will follow suit or my body's going to follow my spirit vice versa. it's not disconnected so that's why David says, "Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name." Offer up sacrifices of joy. Now, sacrifice doesn't mean it's easy, right? It means that you might, you might be a little uncomfortable or inconvenient or whatever. And so, you're, and so, if I can get my body moving, it's like, listen, I'm in a, say you're in, a, in just a down, you're downtrodden, you're, you're in some uh, discouragement and despair. We did this the other day. What if you just start skipping around your yard? You get your body doing something that's joyful. And then your spirit starts to respond. Now we mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice, but there's times where you have to press, th- you have to press through. You have to not let your carnal mind rule. You're like, you gotta, not today, you got to get behind my spirit, man. And sometimes you just gotta activate your spirit, man. Jesus, you know, he told his disciples, he's, he said, You when they were praying in the, the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, Couldn't you just pray with me for like a little bit? And they they couldn't because they they hadn't been filled with the Spirit yet. They hadn't, they're, you know what I'm saying? Your flesh is too strong for you without Jesus. And so we we when we make these choices, like you choose to forgive someone, it actually allows the Holy Spirit to come into that place. When you choose to worship, it allows the Holy Spirit to come into that circumstance. We meditate. We inquire. And that word inquire means to break up or plow. So think about this. You get in God's presence. You're worshiping him. Lord, you're amazing. You're the best. You're full of kindness, God. Full of mercy. And then you start to inquire. Now, I... I've known Jessica 18 years. We've been married 16. I'm still discovering new things about her. I'm actually discovering things about me. I just told her the other day. I was like, I'm learning. The past few years, I'm seeing something about myself. I told her how I've, how this this word that God spoke to me back in 2004, where He said, "Travis, when I tell you to jump, you jump." And I remember I was just like, "Yeah, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it." He said, "But you forget to ask me how high." And I was telling Jessica, I said, you know, over my over my life, I see how in so many areas where the Lord's like, Travis, I want you to do this. And I'm like, yes, yes. And I just like, I got it done. All right, what's next? And where the goal, is like, I can't uh, and the Lord's like, Listen, you didn't even finish listening to me. How many of you have kids? You know, they yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The Lord knows what we're talking about. And so I've seen how I've been even hasty in the way I've obeyed the Lord. And I haven't gotten the full counsel yet. But I see that I, I was telling Jessica, I was like, you know, when I used to do yard work, like you could not interrupt me until I got it done because the highest value was completion. Jessica, when the kids were little, I remember Zuri was like one year old, Lydia three, Josiah five. I've been out in the yard. I mean, I was doing everything in the yard. I was just like, I just got tired of the yard one day. I was like, man, I'm tired of the way this looks. I'm knock it out. Here we go. So I'm cutting grass, trimming, weed, uh, and uh, spraying weed eater. I'm plowing stuff. And Jessica's like, are you going to come in anytime today? I was like, no, not until this is done. And she's got all these little kids in the house. And And so... It's like I, I, I see these things, but when you and so it, when you worship, this, it's like the and you have a lifestyle of worship. You're walking with the Lord. He he plows up the ground in your heart. He excavates your heart, and it's a good thing. Because now I understand. Oh Lord, I've done this. This is this is the way I've operated. I don't want to do that. I want to wait on you. I want to wait on you more. So part of this inquiring and meditating is you ask God questions about his heart and about your heart. You ask him questions about, Lord, what's your heart for this person or what's your heart for me right now in this season of my life? Who do you want to be for me? What, What part of your nature do you want to show me? He may say, I want to show you that I'm your provider. I want to show you that I'm faithful. I want to show you that I'm merciful, whatever it may be. Verse 5 says, he will hide me in the secret place of his tent. Colossians 3 backs this up. It says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the, uh, the point is you don't want to have any skin in the game. And what I mean by that. You don't want to have any flesh in the game. We are talking about this last night again, where I used to, I heard a, a great worship song or a great, and I would ask Jessica, you've got to listen to this worship song. It's just going to blow you away. Because I'd be weeping from this song. So I'd go, man, Lord, you're so good. I got, Jessica's got to listen to this. And then Jessica would, remember the story how we, we do things differently. So anyways, uh, just I'd, I'd play the song for Jessica. And she'd be like, yeah, I'm just not jiving with it. And I would be like, what? How can you not like this song? What's wrong with you? This song means something to me. Don't you care about me? <laughs> now, so my, my flesh in the game was... I had to have Jessica's approval. I wanted her to love this thing as much as I loved it. That was my flash. I had this expectation. I, I was setting her up for failure. I was just, I, in my mind, I was like, once Jessica hears a song, she's just going to be like, oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> Instead, she was like, yeah, I mean, it just in And, and I, would, I would get disappointed, but I I was like, I got my that's me. That's on me. Because I had this expectation, I'm not gonna be happy and Jessica proves. But that's that wasn't the goal, you don't understand. So even little small things like that, but those are the things in marriages that you can even even that can cause divisions. Like, she doesn't like my worship music. Guess I'll just worship over here. But you can't do that. You always just got (laughs) to realize. First question you ask is, like, Lord, I got any any skin in this game? I got any flesh in this game? (laughs) Because it's got to die. Watchman Nee says, we must also stay in the secret place, in the secret of the steep places where we experience the Lord's ascension, being seated with him at the right hand of God. This is mentioned in Psalm 91.1. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty, We all must learn to hide ourselves in the secret place of the Most High. This means to be in the presence of God in the heavenly places, which is to stay in the Lord's ascension. If I'm troubled by a certain person or a particular situation, I must pray, O Lord Jesus, keep me in the cleft of the rock and help me to stay in the secret place of the steep places. O Lord, may I stay at your cross and may I stay in your presence in the heavenlies. In this way, I am crossed out and everything is under my feet. I want to live a crossed out life. (laughs) He will lift me up upon a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing. So this is what it means to live from that ascended place, seated with Christ in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. Now with, I have a buddy named Joel Goddard and he was talking about the secret place one time and he said if he said, you know, if you're not spending time in a secret place, sometimes you feel ashamed or you just feel guilty. Whatever however you want to describe that. And you're like, Man, I should be I should, I should do my quiet time or I should read my Bible. And you're just like, uh, oh, it becomes heavy. And he says what that feeling is, is, that, is it's actually it's a hunger. It's a hunger. So it, that feeling of, ah, I, need, I need it. The devil's twisting that. It's a, it's a hunger from God. But the devil tries to twist it and be like, it's, a, it's this heavy burden. It's this heavy load. You don't need to do that. Just like be all in or be all out, and you, you can't. No, the Lord's not like that. He's like, listen, it's, it's, it's hunger pains. So you look at it in that way when you're just like, man, you know, I, I gave time to this thing instead of giving time to you, Lord. Don't look at it. The Lord's not ashamed. There's no condemnation in Christ, right? So the Lord's, He's going to say, "Listen, son, let's try again." That's all He says. Let's try it again. He's got lots of time. Let's try it again. And so look at those any of those times where you're like, man, I'm just not towing the line. I'm not, on, I'm not on the ball. don't have all my eggs or I don't have everything lined up. Just look at it. As, it's just hunger pains. And don't let it discourage you. Just, just try again. The result of worship is we're set upon the rock, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4. All, we all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul's talking about the rock that followed the Israelites in the desert. It followed them. I I can't get over that all the days of my life. The rock followed them as they traveled. You just imagine this big boulder just following you everywhere you go, and it has water coming out of it. That's how he gave them stuff to drink. And then he put manna every day. And a boulder that follows you with rock, with water coming out of it. And they were like, take us back to Egypt. You know, but we, we would have all done that. We can't say we wouldn't have been like that. Take, take me back to Egypt. But it's just amazing. Exodus 33, the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me. Who's seated at the right hand of God? Jesus. And you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while glory, my glory is passing by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. So Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in the Psalms. And he says salvation comes by his right hand. And here he's saying, I will cover you with my hand. Jesus, the blood of Jesus covers you that we may enter into the presence of God. Hebrews talks about that. We can now come with boldness and confidence before the Lord because of the blood of Jesus. Our heads are lifted up above our enemies, so we stand in victory because our heads, which represents our thinking, is above the voice of the enemy. So when we're standing, when we come into that place of worship, it lifts our head above the noise of the enemy. So just imagine yourself, when you worship, you're ascending the hill of the Lord. You're on a mountaintop. You're at the right hand of the Father. And in the valleys, the chirping of the enemy, the chirp, 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 and You stay in that place where you can't see. You know, in the valley, you just got mountains surrounding you. All you can see is the obstacles. There's a mountain there. There's a mountain there. There's a mountain there. There's a mountain there. And the voice of the enemy is trying to chirp in your ear. It's like, there's no way out, buddy. There's no way out. And the Lord's saying, worship and ascend the hill of the Lord. Go to that high place that's above the noise of the enemy, where you're there. Satan's not in the third heaven, all right? He's been cast down, is what Jesus said. So there's no chirping of the enemy in the throne room. The devil will not chase you into the holy of holies. He will burn up. So you you go into that ascended place. You go in that place of worship. The enemy can't touch you there. That's the secret place. That's the hidden place where the enemy is not allowed to touch you. It's forbidden. You're covered by his wings. You're hidden in his shadow. You're hidden in Christ. Graham Cook told the story of when he, years ago in the '70s, he Graham Cook's a prophet, and he, a uh, a witch from a witch coven in England been assigned to curse him and this witch called him on the He was a warlock actually is a guy and he called him on the phone and he says this is graham cook he said yeah this is graham he said i'm i'm a warlock i've been assigned to curse you and uh he said okay well why don't you give it a go he says because my God says, every curse you put on me will turn into a blessing. He said, I'm, I'm, I would love some fresh blessing in my life, so give it a whirl. So the guy's on the phone, and he does this. <laughs> goes on for about five minutes. And Graham says, you're not a very good warlock, are you? He says, is that all you can do? Is that all you can come up with? Do this. Take a deep breath. Think about what you're going to say, and give it another whirl. <laughs> So the guy, this he says, "Okay, you've said your word. I'm I've fallen into an English accent, but he says you've given me, you've given me a word. Now I've got a word for you, from Jesus. I'm coming to get you." So three months later, Graham Cook gets a phone call. It's this former warlock. He said, "Hey, I called you a few months ago." cursing you. And Graham says, I'm so glad you called. I've been meaning to thank you. I've had had unprecedented blessing in my life ever since you've cursed (laughs) me. (laughs) And he said, yeah, yeah, you know. And he says, your voice sounds different. What's going on? He said, well, shortly after I called you the first time, we were having a uh, satanic ritual. And we were all around this bonfire. And he says, Jesus appeared in the fire. And there was about 15 of us. And he stepped out of the fire and he touched us all on the head with his finger, and all the demons left us, and we all got saved. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, and, and then Graham said, You know, I was I was just asking the Lord for one, but he gave me 15. And so that's the hidden place. Where the, where the devil can't touch you. You're hidden in his wing yeah, in the shadow of his wings. Permission is not granted for him in the holy of holies. The devil is not covered in the blood. And it never will be. So a key to prayer. This is the uh, story of the ungodly judge. Jesus is telling this story. He says, did you hear what the ungodly judge said? That he would answer her persistent request. Don't you know that God, the true judge. So there's a this ungodly judge. Let me give the backdrop real quick before I get ahead of myself. This uh, widow in the parable keeps nagging this ungodly judge who keeps telling her. Is like, go away. You're bothering me. Go away. Go away. And then finally, the ungod. this is what happens to the ungodly judge. Don't you? The ungodly judge said that he would answer her persistent request. Don't you know that God, the true judge, will grant justice to all of his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He will pour out his spirit on them, and he will not delay to answer you and give you what you ask for. God will give swift justice to those who don't give up, so be ever praying, ever expecting, just like the widow was with the judge. Yet when the Son of Man comes back, will he find this kind of persistent faithfulness in his people? And so a key to prayer is first of all, if, if an ungodly judge grants persistent requests, what does a good, loving father, who also is a judge, what will he do? How much more will he answer our requests? He doesn't shoo us off like we're pesky kids. And so church girls for, for worship and prayer is we want prayer to be to saturate everything we do. You know, we pray before the services. Uh, we pray during the service, and prayer is simply admitting to God we need Him. And it's having a, and it's having dialogue with Him. And I want you to know, I do believe that we need to listen a lot more than we than we need to talk, because sometimes. God, he's wanting to tell us how to pray, and it's, it's we're way off base. Like, we're way over here, and we're just kind of wasting our time. Because it's not what God's desiring to do. And so when we stop and listen, I remember I was praying. I was like in warfare prayer one morning. This was probably 12 years ago. And the Lord, Holy Spirit, we interrupt you. He's not always a gentleman, just so you know. And um, he interrupted me. He said, Travis. And I was like, yes, Lord. He said, you need to listen to me a lot more than I need to listen to you. And so I was like, okay, I'll just be still. (laughs) And then I listened, and then I said, all right, what do you say about this situation? (laughs) So that's that's a huge part of prayer. But as a church for us, you know, in the next five to ten years, I see us just having three worship and prayer services every day, morning, noon, and night. One of, the, one of the promises, I believe, that God's going to restore, and it's in Amos and it's in Acts, where it talks about the restoration of the tabernacle of David. And what was the tabernacle of David? David established 24-7 worship and prayer in the temple. And I believe that will happen in Athens through the churches partnering together. I don't think it's necessarily going to be like there's an Ahop church, Athens, but there will be an out-hop, there will be like a 24 uh, 7 collaboration. Now, so part of this is contingent on us having our own building, or at least one that we have access to during these three times a day. Now, this, like I said, this is something God's got to do because you got to have the musicians, you got to have the AV guys, you got to have the time, you got to have the building, all these things. But nothing's impossible with the Lord. I also wanna add that I, there's a dream of having a choir one day. Choir. String, stringed instruments, horns, full orchestra, man, why not? So we're currently just so you know, we currently have our eyes out looking for the right building for our next step. This is a great place, and it's, this is serving us really well. We don't have any kind of timeline, time period, or anything like that. But I'm, we just want you to know, as leadership, we're looking for a place that we can we can call our own, that we have freedom during the week to hey, let's have a let's have a prayer meeting. We don't have to, you know, borrow it from somebody else's or, or, or whatnot, because. It, How many of y'all, did anybody go to the 24-hour prayer vigil that that was at uh, Wesley Prayer Chapel? That's the kind of stuff, you know, there's not like a huge attendance or anything, but the presence of the Lord is sweet. It doesn't matter. God's not restricted to save by few or by many. You know what I'm saying? So it's just not how many are, it's not about how many are there. It's just like God's in it. He shows up. And, And we get to just be blessed partaking of that personal goals for worship and prayer, and this is my challenge to you walking away from today, from this from this sermon and vision, because our the challenge and the vision is we want to grow as a church in worship and prayer, and we want to personally grow in worship and prayer. Psalm 119 said, seven times a day, I praise you because of your righteous ordinances. So what I've been doing lately, and I'm not asking you to do this. I'm going to Tell you what um what the challenge is but for, for me i've been setting my watch to go off seven times a day and when that goes off i'm in the middle of my day I'm, I'm training clients i'm doing something else i'm with my kids but you know i'm getting the kids off the bus my watch is going off i'm walking them across the street I'm like thank you jesus for my kids thank you for getting them home thank you lord for what you're doing i love you father i love you and it may last two minutes this isn't like you got to, this doesn't look like any particular thing, but what it is, what, it, what it's doing is a building in a habit, even more of a habit of connecting with the Lord throughout the day. And so that's what prayer is. Prayer is a conversation. Prayer is inquiring, asking questions. It's listening. It's stating. It's it's just like you would any relationship you have with somebody else. So this will build a habit into us and, and, and habits turn into lifestyles. So I challenge, the challenge is for you to set aside three separate times during the day to connect with the Lord. I'm not saying have three quiet times. I'm just saying three times. One of those times in the morning, it may, it may be your quiet time or evening, whatever you, whenever you do that. But three times during the day where you're connecting with the Lord intentionally to worship him, to give him thanks, just to give him thanks. If you just give thanks, you'll be in the sweet spot, I'm telling you. So that's that's the challenge, three times a day. You set your alarm however you want, but three times a day to intentionally connect with the Lord and see what the Lord does with it. you anything but let's stand father we we can't do anything apart from your grace and apart from your spirit so father these these dreams of, of giving more resources and time to worship and prayer we pray for your grace god We pray for your grace and just the hunger of your spirit, Lord, where distractions fall to the side, any old lovers, any old flames, Lord, that they fall to the side. And let us seek one thing in our heart, God, to behold your beauty and to meditate, to inquire in your temple, to dwell in your house, in your presence, all the days of our life. So give us a hunger and thirst for righteousness, for your name's sake, Lord. Amen. We're going to worship to one more song. If our ministry team will come to the side. If you would like prayer for anything, our ministry team would love to pray for you. If you need physical healing, we'd love to pray for any ailment or injury you might have. Because we believe Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's, he's healing just like he did 2,000 years ago. So let's worship to one more song. and then